We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Why are standardized test scores dropping nationwide? And then, how to spot a personality cult? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a Friday afternoon. Aubrey, we made it to the end of the week. I'm eating a snack right now. I just want our listeners to know that. But that's because it's Friday. I mean, I'm celebrating that it's a Friday. So happy that we made it to the end of the week. There you go. And hey, you get all snacked up. It's it's only an audio medium, so don't worry about it. Yeah. No, the people, you snack with me, listeners. Open up a snack and we'll have a meal together. Now people are thinking to themselves, you know what? You know what? I'm hungry as well. Yeah, so, they want a snack. Hey, if you've missed any of our shows this week, go get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Aubrey, I've been mentioning it all week, but uh, my excitement level, you're going to hear me today. I'm, I'm going to be ex- very oh, uh, excitable. It's Parents Weekend? Parents, Woo-hoo! my first ever Parents Weekend at this my daughter's cool. college. I'm so. excited for you. Yeah, now to be on the parent side of things. Man, don't you feel like you were just there at your own, I like do. your parents were to yours, and I, now it's... How times have changed. Well, you do remember that when your parents came and visited you at college, all you wanted them to do was to take you out for meals. A hundred percent. Take me out to meals. Or or like for me as a girl, like I want to go take me shopping, mom. Let's go shopping. It is my budget that has to kind of figure out how to take out. That's brutal. Do you know what they still want you to do? Take you out for meals. So uh, we (laughs) are super excited. Uh, yeah, we only saw our daughter two weeks ago. For she was home for fall break, and That's now it's so this. Fun. So, I love yeah, it. Super excited, looking forward to that. All right, Aubrey. Speaking of school, there's starting to be some uh, troubling data coming out. Okay. And uh, well, before I say what what I would pull this to, I think it becomes quite obvious. Scores on the ACT college admission tests by this year's high school graduates hit their lowest point in more than 30 years nationwide. Wow. The class of 2022's average ACT composite score nationwide was 19.8 out of 36, marking the first time since 1991 that the average score was below 20. What's more, an increasing number of high school students failed to meet any of the subject area benchmarks set by the ACT, showing a decline in preparedness for college-level coursework. Mm. So they're going to try to get into reasons this is. There's Mm. one very clear reason. What do you think that is? That's the pandemic, right? All of the online learning that happened. Everybody got behind. The whole nation got behind. So uh, it feels like we're getting our first data of the repercussions of closing schools down. And... Wow. I, you know, not everybody thought we should close schools. In fact, a lot of people didn't think we should close schools. Laying my cards on the table when the pandemic first hit and we all thought we were going to die, 
I thought we should close schools down. I definitely down. thought we should close schools down again because it was, I mean, I don't know if people remember. March it was really scary yeah. early on. Now, I became one who thought that we kept schools closed too long. Too long. Yeah. And we did it. We we all thought, well, they could do it online. Well, now we're seeing the results wow. of of online schooling. Mm. And I would start. Let, let me mention this one. I would say that. Um, I mean, I don't know if I want to be this black or white, but I will be. Never again should schools be closed like that. Yeah. No, I, I agree like I don't know you. for what reason it would be. Yeah. I, especially once the data came out that. Um, the pandemic was not impacting children as the way it was adults. And I know we were concerned with protecting our teachers and our administrators. I, I do understand that. But it, I agree that I, it, it, I mean, I'm sure there are some situations that are unfathomable in which case schools should close. But the fact that we're seeing the devastation, and we're seeing the devastation in our kids just anyway emotionally, but now seeing the data, I mean, the interesting thing to me is, does this mean... ACT needs to change the way they're doing testing. Colleges need to change the way because because as a nation, we're going to have to sort of make up for this two year gap in our students education. It but, can't be that you expect students to get two years ahead from therein, where they were. Therein lies the struggle because um, you can't make up for it. Yeah. Right. You can't. Yeah. We're, we're, there's other data that's come out recently about the number of students nationwide, particularly in the inner cities who are. Um, you know, grade levels behind yeah. when it comes to reading and math. Yeah, grade levels behind, and and us going well, that can't be okay. What's going to be interesting? You're about to have a kid go through the college search yeah. process. Yeah. Um, a lot of schools they don't require these testings anymore. Somebody was telling me that yesterday, and that In fact, surprised most me. Schools, most schools. So it it works this that way. That really surprised me. Your kid will still take them, whether okay. it be the SATs or the ACTs or okay. both. Uh, but they are not mandatory to report them. So you basically just report them when they will help you. And so schools aren't expecting these as part of the application well, process anymore. they're not requiring them. I do, I okay. did, having just gone through the yeah, schooling process yeah. with my daughter, I did get left going, if you didn't send in test scores, even though the school knows you don't have to, are they going to infer something from that? Mm-hmm. Like, and will that will that be a detriment to your will application? Will that actually affect you in the end, even though they're saying? I even don't know. though they're saying it won't. So my daughter hit the SATs out of the park. So it was like, send them, send them, send them, send Please, them. Please, let's do that. Um, yeah, because they only help, but they do they, literally. You'll go in, you'll do these visits, and they will tell you in the meetings only send them if they're if they're helpful. Only send them. Wow. So that's, that's one of the new. things: the okay. ACT and the SATs. I think are a, a good indicator. So I do think the pandemic is a big one. Yeah. Aubrey. Yeah. Uh, maybe let me get on my hot horse a little bit and say that some things you and I have talked about is that maybe our schools have started focusing on some things beyond reading, writing and arithmetic. Yeah. And we're seeing the effect of that in some yeah. of our students. Maybe you might maybe, be right about that, Brian. So I, I, I might be right. I might be wrong. But maybe with these types of things, it's too easy to just put it on the pandemic. That yeah. the pandemic's a reason. Yeah. But that maybe we need to look bigger and go, are there things wrong with our how we're how we're educating our children right now? Yeah. That is A, leading to these things, B, leading to people, quite frankly, leaving the public schools. We see the numbers of homeschooling and private schooling going up. Yeah. Uh, I do think this is a reckoning a little bit to go, okay, 
Interesting. Have, have we gotten things wrong in the public school beyond the pan? And the pandemic only exacerbated it. Interesting. Like, because we focus so much on social emotional learning or something rather Maybe than like the basics that they need to be able to get into college. It's that, yeah, that's kind of an interesting thought. I, I am, um, I don't know. I'm hard pressed to make a statement about that when the pandemic. Yeah education was so terrible like and i'm not blaming teachers or administrators for that all of us were just trying to survive mm -hmm. i think teachers and administrators had a really really hard year and did the best that they could but like i for instance i mean i've said this on the show before my oldest son had your daughter tutor him in math because i mean he was doing so poorly because right. he just could not learn online yep and so I think that the the detriment of those, depending on the school district you're in, year and a half, two years, that length of time of our students um, having to learn online, we're just going to see more and more of this, Absolutely. this data come out. Absolutely. And so I think as parents and grandparents out there, the answer is, let me make sure to keep a close eye on my kids. Like, yeah. Uh, how are they doing? What are they learning? Because like we said, we're only now seeing the fruits of the pandemic and what it did to our kids and to their schooling. Well, coming up next, uh, Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by a uh, the author of a book that just came out. This book's called Redeeming Productivity, Getting More Done for the Glory of God. And the author of this new book is Reagan Rose. Reagan, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you guys doing? We're doing okay. really well. It's great to have you with us. Hey, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself uh, and and about this book? Why did you write this book right now? Sure. Yeah. So I am a Bible teacher and a productivity uh, aficionado, I guess you could say. <laughs> I, I went to seminary several years ago, uh, studied the scriptures, and I love God's word. I love helping people understand it. But I also love to just be efficient with how I use my time. So I read a lot of books on productivity, listened to a lot of podcasts, really had studied it for myself. Hmm. And I just kept seeing, man, for Christians, there's just something lacking here. There's, there's a lack of a biblical worldview applied to the subject of time management. And so what I wanted to do with the book is address that deficiency. That's why it's called redeeming productivity. I'm trying to buy back the concept from the world because I really do think it's something that is biblical and it's Christian, utilizing the time God's given us well. I actually love this because I kind of see myself as like a productive time management type person. So I think the fact that you're thinking theologically about this is so important. Talk to us about uh, how should Christians be thinking about their productivity? Because I don't, I know, I wonder if we're even in this conversation at all. So I love that you're in it. Like, give us some some perspective on how we should even begin approaching our productivity as Christ followers. I think the biggest thing is starting with who you are, and what I mean by that is thinking about productivity in biblical terms. I like to use the word stewardship. My life is a stewardship. It doesn't belong to me. It's on loan to me from God. Um, so I talk about this a lot in the book with the parable of the talents. Mm. You know, the, the three stewards are, are entrusted with differing amounts of money. The master leaves, and they're supposed to invest that, use that wisely. Two are faithful. One is not. I, I think about that concept when applied to productivity, that it, it's about stewarding your life. And so the number one thing, actually start the book with this, is recognizing that your life belongs to God. Mm. That's a profound statement because that means my time belongs to God. Mm. And so it's not, productivity becomes less about 
how do I, how do I get rich or how do I get a promotion at work or how do I, you know, whatever succeed in life and more about how do I serve God? How do I be a faithful steward of this? Because it all really is God's. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reagan, what are the biggest hurdles as you've done research and as you've thought about this, what stops us from being productive? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think one thing, just a, a theological point, is that, you know, we're, the, the world has fallen. We're under a curse. Like, God created us to work. You know, we read about this in Genesis, that we were, you know, he put man in the midst of the garden to work it, to keep it. We were made to work and enjoy our work. But because of sin, because of the fall, you read in Genesis 3, that uh, work itself is under a curse because of our sin. And so it, it is difficult. We shouldn't be surprised that it's so hard to get things done and be consistent and meet our goals because, yeah, we're living in a fallen world. So I think that's a, a big barrier to us just right from the get-go and recognizing that. I think that manifests in a lot of things. Procrastination, that's mm -hmm. a big one for me. Um, the competing priorities, having a tough time deciding what is the thing I should be focused on yeah. right now. And then I just think a general just lack of being taught how do you how do you keep a schedule? How do you do these little simple sounding nitty gritty things to make sure you're managing your time well? That's actually something I love about the book. Again, the title of the book we're talking about with author Reagan Rose is Redeeming Productivity, Getting More Done for the Glory of God. But you do give pillars, some theological pillars for productivity, but then you also give practices, that nitty gritty that you were just talking about. Can you, you don't want to spoil your content, but can you give our <laughs> listeners perhaps a practice or two that they can begin to increase or to think well about their own productivity? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the highest leverage practice for me in my own life and that I found with people that I've worked with on this is a morning routine. And that sounds so mundane, and, and even sometimes people cringe at that because what I suggest is that people shift their schedule, if possible. I know not everyone can do this, yeah. but shift your schedule so that you're going to bed a little bit earlier than you normally do and waking up a little bit earlier. Hmm. For so many people, you know, we, we wake up to the alarm clock, we rush to get ready, then we run out the door, and we, we basically start our day on our heels. You know, we're not, we're not rising to meet the day where the day sort of surprises us and then we're stumbling through it. And it's no surprise we fall behind in things like work. It's no surprise we can't carve out time to read God's word or pray or any of that. So one of the practices that I, that I usually start people with is carving out a morning routine. Wake up a little bit earlier. It doesn't have to be a ton, maybe just 30 minutes and have a plan for that time. Mm. It's amazing what you can do and the change that it causes in your life when you have 30 minutes of undistracted time and a plan applied to it. So I, mm. I always tell people, start with a morning routine. That's the best place. That's good. Another one of your practices you talk about in the book is goal setting. Set your goals. Mm -hmm. uh, and we all know that, right? We all want to have goals. But so many of us struggle with, you know, attainable goals or how do I track them? How, do you have one or two words of wisdom you would have for people who maybe struggle with the, the idea of goal setting? Yeah, absolutely. Goal setting is so hard, and I think anyone who's ever set a, uh, a New Year's resolution and not met it kind of maybe has a love-hate relationship with goals. And I think one of the things that's lacking very often when we approach goals is a big enough why. What I mean is a reason, because when it comes to goals, you, you need to stay motivated, and the thing that supplies motivation is the reason 
for doing it. And so I think this is another thing where Christians have a huge advantage. If I see my life as a stewardship, then my goals are simply a way in which I'm exercising that, which means if I set a goal in such a way where I have written out this goal is so that I can glorify God with this part of my life, man, that is so motivating. And so with, with goal setting, I encourage people to, to really get specific with it. Don't just make it vague. Make it really, really specific. Here is why I'm doing this goal. Write it out on a piece of paper. And here is how I'm going to do it. Create a plan, step by step, how you're going to get that goal done. Mm. If you do that, 90% of the work is done. But most of us, we call them goals, but really we just make wishes and hope that they get done. <laughs> that's so <laughs> true. That, that's a really good word. Um, let me ask you one more question about goal setting, because I, I feel like, you know, sometimes we're very hard on ourselves and we forget to celebrate when we do meet goals or when, you know, we accomplish something on our to-do list of productivity. Do you talk at all about celebration or kind of, um, you know, job well done after you've met some of your goals? Absolutely. I think that's so key, and I'm glad you brought that up, because you have to celebrate the wins. Yeah. I mean, that is what's going to supply you again with the motivation for the next goal and that's a good thing it's a big deal when you meet your goals I think a big part of that too is even with an individual goal is creating milestones mm. within that goal so I, I work with Christians and like one-on-one -on -one and, and through I have a, an academy where we work on stuff like this and we set quarterly goals together and every quarterly goal has three we call them projects for each month of that quarter right so what's so helpful about that is you're not just saying in 90 days I'm going to get this big thing done. All along the way, you are celebrating as you hit each of the milestones, and that kind of gives you the energy and the encouragement to keep going and keep pressing on because you've broken it down into something manageable, and it's exciting to actually visibly see the progress in your life. Absolutely. It's a super helpful book called Redeeming Productivity. Getting More Done for the Glory of God. The author is Reagan Rose. Reagan, thanks so much. This has really been helpful. Hope the book does great. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It was great talking with you both. We like to pull the curtain back every now and then, let people inside know what's going on. You and I are sitting in a studio across from each other right now. We are. Who's constantly eating? <laughs> It's like you're having Thanksgiving over there. I'm always hungry. Soup. I don't know what but to I, tell you. But I wish people could see that like you have a bar and you're like nibbling on it like a squirrel so that you can continue to eat it <laughs> while, we, while talk. we talk. Yeah, it's... that's true. I don't know what to tell you. I, I'm hungry. Brian, on the other hand, eats Twix bars in I the do. middle of our, <laughs> middle of our show, but you just don't know it. I do. I, I I'm to, at least eating an organic protein bar. I picture, I picture in the uh, if we were doing this show in the 1950s, you and I would just be smoking in between takes. Just, <laughs> while you're talking, I'm smoking. While you're talking, I'm while smoking. I'm talking, yeah, that's go. probably accurate. Uh, yep. That is basically our show, except with Twix bars and some sort of weird brown organic And bar. generally, you've got iced tea, I've got coffee. So <laughs> now people know what it's like here in the common good studio but my thing is you were like i was like do you want to eat before you know like nope i'll just kind of nibble it as we go <laughs> i'm nibbling it i'm taking a little bite so that i'm not interrupting our chat but i'm still feeding my little stomach that needs food while we feed Poor our, little me needs you, food you are feeding your hunger while we feed our audience we will while we feed their souls Ooh, that was a solid segue brian from well done so the gospel coalition and i thought that they this this article is from the end of last year but how to spot a 
personality cult. Oh, wow. This feels super important uh, in the church world right now. Yeah. Because, um, I don't know, how many more stories of cults of personalities are we going to do uh, where they come crashing down you. and then it rocks people's faith? Yep. Uh, church doesn't survive. Yep. Uh, let me point people to the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast just for exhibit one. But yep. uh, Willow Creek is dealing with this still with the fallout of um, of Bill Hybels, Harvest with James McDonald. Yep. You got the Hillsong stuff, all of it. So yeah. over and over and over and again. And then I think, too, I mean, just to add to this, it's not just people who have lost their faith. It's people who never had a faith are now looking mm. at these stories going, well, what's the point? Mm -hmm. uh, why would I ever, you know join an organization like that so i think our our witness is also at stake that's right too. that's right and then uh it's not just the church world i would say this is a definition of what's been going on in our political world mm, um yeah there are some politicians who are just politicians but then we would say i would say we've seen in our lifetime a few um people who have transcended that to be a more of a cult of personality let me give you one on each side Let's i hear. think barack obama was this for many people okay. and i think donald trump was certainly this for many people, yeah. it was a person. Yeah. It was a cult of personality. Yeah. That's what the, well, why don't you help people? How would you define cult of personality? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's funny. There's an old song that's like, cult of personality. That that's what's yes. coming to my mind. But, I, you know, we all know what a cult is, right? Like surround your, your kind of giving worship, awe, deference to one sort of very charismatic leader. And so I guess that's how you take a cult of personality is surrounded by some personality that's very strong, very winsome, um, in a lot of ways, actually probably not the healthiest individual ever. Yeah. Um, but we owe our deference. We don't question them. We almost worship them as if they're gods. Or we just believe so, whole, so wholeheartedly in their message that we're willing to let them get away yeah. with a lot of stuff. Yeah, so at the Gospel Coalition, they speak of cult of personalities from a church level. But I actually think... It's it's dangerous across the board, whether it be the CEO of a uh, of a business, somebody running for office. Yeah. Uh, but you and I have seen it a lot in the church world, and uh, they talk about how to spot a cult of personality. Mm. Before I give those, name the band who's on cult of personality. I can't remember. Came out in 1988. I have, if I'm going to be honest, and I'm a pastor, I'm going to have I, to Google it. If I'm going to be honest, and I'm a pastor, so I'm always honest, 100 <laughs> percent of the time. You're not a cult of personality, so you're honest. No, no I'm not. Uh, I already Googled it. You did. I could not remember. Give but me a I could hint, but it. don't tell me because I feel like once you, once you start to say it, I'm gonna know. Right, I've got a great it's hint on, for like, you. The tip I've of got my... a great hint for you. Okay. It was uh, the name of the band was the same thing as the name of a uh, of a TV show that I believe was on Fox, late '80s. It, this TV show was meant to be. The rival of Saturday Night Live. Oh, Living Color. In Living it. Color. So yeah. In Living Color was the show. The, the band, band was Living, Living Color. Color. Yes. The cult of personality. personality. Yeah. So the uh, Gospel Coalition tells us how to spot a cult of personality. We get these. Shameless self-promotion. Mm. Numbers matter most. Yeah. A trail of dissenters. What was one of the most famous lines of the rise and fall of Mark Driscoll? Oh. Mark Driscoll yeah. talking about the bodies the behind the bus. Yeah. And all of us who listened to that went, excuse me? Right. Like, what would that be? But that was normal language for him. And mm -hmm. therefore normal language from his for his church but mm -hmm. they say here though if those who raise questions or concerns are silenced or pushed to the margins 
you're dealing with a cult of personality. Yeah. They rally around a single person. And again, this is Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Yeah, this it was is. Uh, Mark Driscoll was Mars Hill, and everybody kind of came in around him, right? They they wanted to make sure to protect him. Uh, so what's the question here? What is the we don't want to just decide our and their cult of personalities in hundred person churches as Absolutely. much as in ten thousand yeah. person churches. And there are ten thousand person churches that don't have this, that 100%. are healthy and really going after God's mission in a good way. So I don't think you can ever point the fig- figure at like the church model. It does tend to be a narcissistic leader at stake here. That's right. And the accountability system that's not in place. Yeah, and you're gonna say it more than I will. Tends to be the men <laughs> that tends to it's, happen and I mean it does. <laughs> It we've, is what it is, what it is, you know? Uh, so he gives the answer is that obviously he's trying to just push us away from cult of personalities okay. uh, and, and try to ultimately say, listen, the church, glory, everything's about Jesus. There's only one person worthy of fame and attention, and we would wholeheartedly amen and agree with that. Here's my question for you. What would What should people do? If they realize that, you know what, I'm in a church because of the personality of somebody. Mm. I'm in, I'm voting for somebody, but I'm strangely tied to this candidate mm. as like, and the, the whole definition of a cult of personality. What do we do? Because, yes, we do believe the answer is Jesus. Right. But what do we do when we're wrapped up in that? If you had been at Mars Hill, at Harvest, at whatever else. Yeah, one of the questions that's actually asked in this article, and I'm saying this to answer your question, mm-hmm. is... He asks if the personality left the faith. So this is in light of like a church leader. If that personality left the faith, would you feel compelled to do the same? Mm. And I think um, that has to be one of those um, questions to reflect on. Because if the answer is if they left Jesus, I'll leave Jesus, Mm. then your faith is in the wrong place person yeah right and so i think that right there is such an important reflective question and we've seen this happen and this is always surprising to me um i'm not exactly sure why but when we see the driscoll's the hybels the whoever of the world you find out that they're abusive and they're terrible part of it is just the mantle of being you know as someone's spiritual father they Mm -hmm. feel destroyed by their father i mean that is major major trauma and that makes it hard to even like return to a church again but if it causes you to lose your faith in Jesus and not look to Jesus, then I think we all have to evaluate, have we put our faith in the wrong people and the wrong thing and the wrong in the human, not in the Lord and Savior in it, political cases in the human, not in the Lord and Savior. And so what do you do? I mean, I, this is where you I guess you do have to do some business with Jesus. God, I'm sorry. I've made this other person, this other thing. Um my Lord, instead of you, could you help me? I think it's okay to leave a church if the trauma is too deep. I really do. Sometimes you can't heal in the place where you've been abused. Mm -hmm. You need to get out of there. And then if there are accountability structures in that, I'm thinking specifically of churches, go to the elders, go to whoever you need to and say, like, I'm really concerned about this. And if they don't respond in a way that's healthy, listening, humble, that's probably a sign for you to get out. It's probably going to end poorly, but I don't, I I think... Uh, knowing is half the battle here, yeah. and and unfortunately, way too many of our churches are built on cult of personality. And yeah. I think the answer is, if you want to know if you are, what would happen if tomorrow that pastor left? Yeah. Small church, big church, medium-sized church. Is it about the 
is it primarily about Jesus and also about the organization, the mm. church health and pastors come, yeah. pastors go? Yeah. Uh, or is it, do you feel like if that pastor left us, we're done? Mm. We're done. And that therein lies a problem. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday afternoon. Hopefully you have an amazing weekend that you are looking towards. Maybe a fall weekend. Maybe you've got some s'mores and a fire you're going to be around or you're going to go to a pumpkin patch or something like that this weekend. We are so excited for you. If you you. had to choose pumpkin patch or apple picking, what would you choose? Hey, family, we're going to go have a day. We're going to be outside. We're either going to go pick apples at like yeah. an apple orchard, or mm-hmm. we're going to go to like a fun pumpkin patch where you we're going to walk, and you're going to go home with a bag of apples, or you're going to go home with a pumpkin. Probably pumpkin. I think I'd go apple orchard. Would you? I think yeah. So. I we usually do an apple orchard, but I'm just realizing that's not really on the schedule this year. Wherever they have apple cider donuts is ultimately where I want to be. Yes, I do love you know, those. We're, you know that we're going to visit my daughter this weekend up at college yep. and in Holland, Michigan. Uh, there's a place right there that has blueberry donuts that sounds amazing and everything this store does is like blueberry it is amazing um this is gonna sound maybe a little bit naive about michigan but they're like a big blueberry state question mark i don't know okay i just know just that this i go there and get blueberry donuts okay that sounds absolutely delicious we'll bring me home some nope please Nope. Oh, let's, I'm going to text your wife and have her do it. All right, Brian, we're going to take things a little bit serious. Over at churchleaders.com, James Emery White is writing about what the online world is doing to us. Before we look at that, what's your guess? I mean, if I were just to say, Brian, what do you think the online world is doing to us as a culture? It is giving us much less attention span. I think that is wholeheartedly true. And I think so. I think it is causing us to just bounce, boom, 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 always mm-hmm. fill our minds with stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one. And two, I think it's making us angry. Oh, interesting. Yes. So it's funny you say that about the attention span. I feel like I used to be a kind of person, and I mean used to like just a few years ago, who could sit at my computer for hours and write, like work on a book or work on a sermon, work on a project. And now I have found I just can't do it. Like, I really do feel like my attention span has changed. I don't know if it's age. I don't know if it's season of life. But I am tempted to wonder if it's because of the device in my hand that constantly keeps me keeps my attention moving in a different direction so that it makes it hard to yeah. like focus on something. We've talked about how it's your your mind is always going and if like your car was just always revving all yeah, the time. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a problem. Yeah, you or the car would run out of gas certainly. Okay, here we go. Gen Z is spending 9 hours a day in front of a screen. So that could be TV. Nine hours. Nine hours. That could be TV. That could be video games. That could be smartphones. That could be tablets. When we used to go to the doctor a few years ago, I remember this. The pediatrician would say to my kids, who are all Gen Z, only 30 minutes a day on screens. That's how they started. Then it moved, and they would start to say only two hours a day on screens. They changed. The pediatrician now doesn't even ask about how much time they're on screens. Really? Yeah, they used to be very like, mom, make sure it's only 30 minutes. Mom, make sure it's only two hours. Now, doesn't even come up. I think that's really interesting. So Gen Z spending nine hours a day. What does that online consumption do to individuals and societies? We understand that a lot of these are not positive, uh, positive impacts, right? Mm -hmm. First is it's hurting our kids. According to a major study of nearly 10,000 teenagers by University College London and Imperial College London, social media damages children's mental health. It ruins their sleep. It reduces their exercise levels. It exposes them to cyber bullies in their home. And using sites multiple times a day increases the risk of psychological distress by around 
40 percent compared to logging on weekly or less. Making matters worse, children's screen time doubled during the pandemic and hasn't gone down since. So that's uh, well, that's crazy. So, so we all assumed the pandemic came and we all just let our kids do whatever they wanted online. Right. But I think there was probably an assumption that we would rein them in, but mm-hmm. they're telling us, nope, that has not happened. It hasn't gone down. And okay. they're saying they're not as much spending as much time on their schoolwork. They're not spending as much time in recreational activities. Mostly they're on social media, texting, internet surfing, streaming, et cetera. So that is wild. Okay, second, it's changing how we view and have sex. A survey from the UK's The Times finds that pornography mm. is leading to sex where women get hurt is the new normal and people who are looking up um like abusive pornography i'm i'm kind of giving my own terms here okay abusive pornography um is what generation z that's the second most popular porn category mm. that's searched for wow that's hard isn't that hard that's isn't that pretty devastating yeah and i don't I think for as much as we talk about it, generally speaking, we can't say it enough because the pornography statistics are on the rise. And it's just it destroys the individual. Yeah. It destroys particularly men, how men view women. It destroys marriages. It destroys all of it. And, you know, we our kids are seeing are being shown stuff at such a, a younger age that it's just something we can't take seriously enough and i think the statistics are changing that is not i mean that men are as impacted now as women are billy eilish is one of the like famous gen z musicians who came out openly to talk about her pornography addiction Hmm. starting at age 11 she was exposed to pornography it gave her nightmares impacted her dating life she was on howard stern show and she said it destroyed her brain and it made her feel incredibly devastated. She was 20 years old at the time of the interview and just said it was terrible for her. Hmm. So uh, that's another, I mean, I think parents especially, like we have to be so aware of pornography and the online community for our kids because it's so accessible and the dangers are just absolutely devastating. And then third, uh, the online, the way uh, being online is impacting our kids, it's costing community or at least previously available dynamics of community. So dating has changed. The workplace has changed. Basically, sociologically speaking, we all know like so much is happening online. We've seen some of these stories, how this has gone extreme, like people marrying robots, people (laughs) marrying avatars. Like, so that's sort of a weird version of it, but the reality is community itself has changed. And then the last, this is what you said, Brian, it is making us angrier yes polling reveals two things we all seem to agree on people are more likely to express anger on social media than in real life and we are angrier today compared to a generation ago we are um the statistic for that is 84 percent angrier than we were a generation ago i wonder how they figure that out i don't know but that's a pretty big number don't you think it's an enormous number and i would think uh, that it's correct. Again, I have no idea how they would figure that out, but it feels like we are just an angrier people. We, I think we know that, um, you know, I think we know that kind of anecdotally. Yeah. But also, I think we just see it around us. Yeah. So there's a, there's some other things that James Emery White mentions at churchleaders.com about this. But what in the world, if if the online world is actually changing the minds and hearts and souls of Gen Z this is where it gets hard, like day to day. Brian, I can read that and I can go, my kid's done. Like we are done online. 
But then the reality is we don't actually change a lot of things. Like, so what do you actually do? I, th- I think it's a call back to some of the things we've talked about before, which is as much as you need to get out and take a walk and like put your phone down, you need to have your kids put their phone down and take a walk. Your kids are active in sports. Like I think those types of things, being with people in real relationship, being outside, being active, um, so important for Gen Z. I couldn't agree more. And what becomes hard as parents is um, we are all busy. Everybody's busy, 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 busy. And so Mm. it becomes easy uh, to tell your kids, hey, just go play at a young age. Because it does. Let's just be honest. It's cheap babysitter. It it's is. a really cheap babysitter, but you've got to f- uh, get past that. Yeah. And, um, you know, like you said, get your kids to be played. Uh, we did a story last week. There's value in boredom. Yeah. Teach your kids right. what it means to be bored. Right. And, and let them kind of figure it out as yeah. they go instead of trying to fill all their time. Yeah, this is an example. I'll end with this, but we don't let our kids do any screens on Sundays. It's just the one day we're like, "You will Sabbath. You will not be on screens." Like even TV. Yeah, not even TV. And we Doesn't let your husband watch football. Yeah, they'll uh, football. I guess I don't really football think about this TV, but then my kids don't watch it. You know what I mean? They gotcha. might come in and out. But I was looking for my middle son. My oldest son will go upstairs and draw in his room. My um, youngest son will do the same thing. He'll go in his room and write or draw or he'll want to play a board game or something. I could not find my middle son. What in the world is he doing? I literally went outside and he's just sitting on the front porch staring into space. And I was like, well, okay, he's doing it. He's He's embracing (laughs) boredom. Brian, I think you're going to be excited about this. It's a hard story, but it's about sports. Sports. I know you keep up on Australian football, right? I always say that with an Irish accent. I do. I always go, it's about sports. Oh, that's funny. That's most funny. of my sports knowledge comes from Ireland. It's the, most of my that favorite teams are sports. out of the out Irish. of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a weird story and a disturbing one. Um, and Christianity Today, it's not usually where we get our sports, but Christianity Today says this. Australian football executives, Australian rules football, forced to resign, prompting debate about religious liberty. So here's, well, here's the story. He lasted 30 hours. Andrew Thorburn, a former banker, was appointed chief executive. So this is no small deal. Yeah. He's chief executive yeah. of Essendon Football Club on September 27th. A little more than a day later, he was forced to resign from the prominent footy club because of his connection to a conservative Melbourne church. In a public statement, Thorburn summed up the situation briefly. My personal Christian faith, he said, is not tolerated or permitted in the public square. The president of the Australian Football Club strongly disagreed with that characterization, staying in the statement, this is not about vilifying anyone for their personal religious beliefs, but about a clear conflict of interest with an organization whose views do not align at all with our values as safe, inclusive, diverse, and welcoming club. And so it keeps going from there. But, uh, and, and as happens, Aubrey, is... You know, uh, stuff gets going on social media yeah. and these things almost become forced to fire people. Online clips of old sermons from the church surfaced after Thorburn, Thorburn's appointment, which kind of created the scandal. But it says here, Thorburn's short stint and dramatic resignation may be one of the most egregious examples of someone being forced out of a prominent position for their affiliation mm. with conservative Christianity. Yeah. His resignation is especially shocking. Because no one has accused him of saying or doing anything inappropriate. According to the Essendon board, Thorburn doesn't even hold the offensive views that the club found 
unacceptable. So this is crazy. Yeah, this is crazy. So for those of you who might have zoned out or didn't follow there, <laughs> guy gets hired for an executive position. Mm-hmm. So obviously they vetted him. Like right. This isn't like they were hiring an usher. Right. A day later, or after he gets hired, stuff starts going around on social media uh, of his church. And he is – here, let me give you some background about the church – Thorburn is chair of the board at City on a Hill, an evangelical Anglican church that started in 2007 in Melbourne. It currently has eight sites. The founding pastor, Guy Mason, is affiliated with Acts 29. In 2013, Mason preached about homosexuality, calling same-sex sex a sin, and he has also spoken from the pulpit about abortion, at one point comparing the number of terminations of unwanted pregnancies to the Holocaust. So— they basically started, they get, this guy goes to this church. Yeah. We're going to now play all of these sermons that make us uncomfortable. Right. And the guy lost his job within 24 hours, even though the football club even said, we don't even know if he holds these positions. It's unbelievable. He just goes to this church. Aubrey, people talk slippery slope. People kind of raise red flags. Yeah. People say, hey, watch out for what's coming. And you and I tend to be, or at least I tend to mm-hmm. be, and you do too, like, hey, let's have a little nuance mm, here. Don't freak out. Don't, don't freak panic. Out. Not, not everything you read. This is crazy. This is crazy because basically what they're saying is he goes to a church and therefore he got fired. Yes. And if that ends up being the the line for all of us, like if we go to church, then we're losing our jobs. Like, absolutely that's discrimination in the other direction right right? i mean it's just absolutely absurd i cannot believe they can get away with this now i don't i obviously i don't know australia's politics i don't know their their hr policies (laughs) whatever but i feel like there's going to be lawsuits are coming here yes that's what i was just going to say neil foster a christian professor at newcastle law school thinks there's a clear argument the club violated the law even though Thorburn officially resigned, he was effectively dismissed. Yeah. Uh, Foster said this. It seems likely that what has happened here is, quote, direct discrimination. It is unlawful to take adverse action against an employee on the basis of their religion unless it can be shown that the action was taken because of the inherent requirements of the particular position concerned. Foster said he couldn't think why an executive's church's views on homosexuality or abortion which he then added, views on moral issues that have been shared by Christians, Muslims, Jews, and many other religion believers for a long time would be relevant to Australian football. He asked, is it really essential to delve into the moral positions of senior executives in a football club? So yeah. I do think that there's a lawsuit. Come- there should yeah, be. Yeah, there Absolutely should be. Absolutely should be. I agree. Be. But Aubrey, we know that things don't stay on one continent or the yeah. other. And let's be honest, this is happening where we live now, right? Social media, things come out. Mm-hmm. You might be asking, well, maybe this was a crazy church. It's an Anglican church that's part of the the, the Acts 59 network, or Acts 29, 29 network. What I'm telling you is this is a very common church to what you would see here. Yeah, This absolutely. is not one of these churches. And even if it was one of these out-of-bound churches, right. he shouldn't get fired. But right. this is not what that is. And so this is hugely, hugely troublesome that I'm not sure 
I guess the, the, the call that I would make is watch out, people. Like yeah, it's I, I mean, that's it. And it is a little bit terrifying. Uh, Thorburn, who who was hired for that 24 hours, says, I love all people I've always promoted and lived an inclusive, diverse, respectful, and supportive workplace. He's been a fan of the club, and he says, despite my own leadership record within hours of my appointment being announced, the medias and leaders of our community had spoken. I think this is the part that freaks me out, too, is there's some group out there, and we see this happening here, too, some group out there in Australia that's like combing through his story and combing through his pastor sermons that he has nothing yeah. to do with, except maybe he was at church that day to to like kind of do like a gotcha. And then he gets fired because of it. It is. Yeah, it's shocking to me. And at the end of the day, this is a quote that he says, and I think he's right. True tolerance, inclusion, and diversity also includes people Isn't of faith. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And I think that's, I think that's what we're going to have to remember. Like, if if people are really calling for inclusion and diversity, that does mean you include people of faith. And so when that stops happening, I guess, like you said, Brian, just be aware. Just be aware that like certainly times are changing. Count the and, cost, I would say. Oh and, man! And his history is. Like, this is really surprising. Like, this is, um, and I, I suspect that in the end, I, I'd like to see how this ends, because I think in the end, this football club is going to have a, um, a reckoning here, yeah, because I don't I think, think they can do what they right. did. But this is wild. Like, if this comes your way, you know, some of you in the business world or mm-hmm. public schools, teaching mm-hmm. in your schools, and they start combing through, what did your pastor say about this topic? What exactly... It, what we're going to have is a uh, is a litmus test about, um, hey, oh, you want to be you want to work at this company? What do you believe about homosexuality? Yeah. What do you believe about yeah. transgenderism? What yeah. do you believe about abortion? What do you believe? Who did you vote for? Right. All of these things we've always been told are outside the lines. I hope they stay outside the lines. Like maybe I'm being over dramatic here. But when you read stories like this, you start to go. Is it actually going to be outside right. the lines? It and, might not be. And, and and things could get difficult. Yeah, things could get really difficult. So it's the end of the week. It's the end of the show. Brian's about to head out for his first parents weekend. That's right. His daughter in college. So we know you probably have something exciting to look forward to this weekend as well. If not, we're so glad that we can be that exciting thing for you there this you weekend. Uh, Karen Swallow Pryor. Brian, a friend of the show, someone that we admire it's and respect mutually. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while. We haven't had her on a while. We're going to have to have her come back. Um, she tweets, obviously, at Twitter, um, but she writes for the Religion News Service. She's a columnist there. She has a podcast called Jane and Jesus about Jane Austen and Jesus. And, you know, just kind of a liter. She's a literary professor or literature professor, kind of a literary thinker. But then she tweets about life with Jesus. And she uh, tweeted something last week, really simple, Brian, but I thought was really profound. She said, the older I get, the more I see God working in the smallest details of my life. And um, that kind of struck me because I started to wonder if that's true. As we get older, do we tend to see God working more and more in our life or do we not to go the opposite direction like god are you real at all i feel like i have friends who have gone in both directions the older they get the more they're like i don't Mm. know if god is real or yes wow when i look back on my life i see that god has woven every detail together even the ones that seemed insignificant so what do you think about her saying that the older i get the more i see god working in the smallest details of my life 
Yeah, and then she added a, a second tweet that wrote, the big details too, haha. So uh, I yeah. think I would fall on the line of the people you're describing as, you know what, as I get older, I do look back and see mm-hmm. that God has been present. Yeah. God has been good. Yeah. God has been active. I think when I was younger, it was like, you know, we've, ta- we've talked about this a lot. God used me to change the world and like, you know, use and, and you start to go, is God even here? What's mm. he doing? There's, there is the, the, the beauty of hindsight and the beauty of looking back of going, okay, no, God, God was really orchestrating and God was really present when I was going through that or when, you know, I was struggling here or when this was going on. I, I do. I think she's right. I do think there's a perspective when we get older. And also, I think I'm more. See if this makes sense. The older I get, also the more appreciative I am of the small details of that's life. That's true. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. Somebody was responding to Karen Swallow Pryor, and they said, "My friend lost a bracelet yesterday. Her late husband had given it to her. She was distraught. We prayed, and she found it today in the parking lot of her condo. And this person is saying God absolutely cares for every little detail." And somebody else said, "Look, I need a little bit of this right now. My heart is broken." And I, I do feel like as you get older, as I got as I was younger, I would say I would see God at work in the bigger things, yeah. um, the, whatever the like, quote unquote, camp highs of life are. Mm-hmm. But I do think when you get older, you start to see God at work in like small miracles or small moments or small answers to prayer that you realize like, oh, God actually does care about details god actually does hear me god actually does show up and and i but then it does make me sad because i feel like i have i have friends who would now consider themselves either deconstructors ex-evangelicals or just not christians anymore and they they would say they never saw god's hand at work in their life mm. and so then i start to wonder so what is do you it a, going on there let me push you on that yeah. because karen somebody replied to her and said I wish I could stay th- say the same sincerely. I seem to see God less and less. Yeah. And Karen just replied, "I'm sorry." Mm-hmm. What is the? What do you think is going on there? Like you said, you know people. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's almost a crossroads, and people mm-hmm. who've gotten older and said, "You know what? I don't have yeah. more and more." What What do you think is actually going on there? You know, I think I've said this to you before, but I do feel like seasons of our life of of suffering, and I'm using suffering like just hardship okay mm-hmm, like you, mm-hmm. you don't have to always think starving starvation that can be part of a season when we suffer we go through hard times i feel like that is a watershed moment in a lot of people's faith because we have such a anemic theology of suffering in the church in america that people either go i will find god here and i will trust that god is emmanuel god is with me god is who he says he is god is redeeming this god's presence is here god's hand is here yeah. or they go nope I'm done. And then because of that decision, I'm not saying God removes his grace. Like I can't, I can't even pretend to unpack the mysteries of God in that. But I think they almost close off their soul and their spiritual eyes to seeing God at work. And, Mm. and so some of it is, I feel like a choice, um, just not to look for the grace of God anymore in hardship when actually I think you're, and there's research that shows this, like discipleship research that shows actually in those moments when you choose to like lean in, even in uncertainty, you find God in a way that's even like bigger than the box you've placed him in. But mm. it it does, you know, some people would argue with me about this. Like, can you walk away from God? Can't you not? If you're a Calvinist, you have different feelings about right. this, obviously. But 
I I do think sometimes it's sort of a choice. Like I'm not going to look for God here because I'm yeah. too hurt, instead of running to God with your hurt and finding God in it. I think you make a valid point about pain. Like I think people look back and they see the pain that they've had in their lives. You know, I think about that for any of us, that when you're older, you've experienced pain at some point in your life, you've experienced struggle, and that you look back and you're like, well, God didn't save me from that. Mm -hmm. God didn't step in there. God didn't do whatever. And maybe that's where it sends you off. It is hard for me to understand. Uh, is this fair to say? If you're looking back over your life and you're saying, I, ne I can't see where God worked at any point, then you never probably actually had a relationship with God. Yeah, is maybe. Is that fair to say? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder that because I, I definitely and, I, you know, it's hard because I can only speak about this anecdotally. But any anytime I take like a retreat or a season to reflect on like a timeline of my life and I'll do this every once in a while, I can clearly see where God's yeah. hand has done this and then that. And then it, you're like, oh, Lord, you are writing an overarching narrative. But it, like, if you if you can't see that, I do wonder. Like, or maybe it's maybe it's not that you never had a relationship, but you aren't taking the time now mm -hmm. to stop and reflect and be silent and let God speak to you and, and practice some of those spiritual practices where you find God does show up. I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting why some people seem to grow deeper into their relationship with God and seeing God in the small details and other people seem to go in a, in another direction. Yeah. And so I think it speaks to what do we do with pain in our lives? Yeah. Uh, what do we do? And I do think there's something to be said. I don't spend a lot of time looking back at all. Yeah. Uh, just looking back and going, okay, where's God been in my life? Where have I seen God? I do think for most of us, when you look back, you are going to see God's faithfulness. Mm -hmm. You are going to see where he's been at work. And then that emboldens your faith going yeah, forward. It's so true. It's so true. So maybe that's just a lesson for all of us, whether you, you see God in all the details or you don't. Take some time to reflect on seasons of your life. Perhaps create a timeline of your life on a piece of paper and think about the good times and the bad times, mm -hmm. each season leading to the next. And just see if you notice themes, see if you notice doors open and closing, see if you notice... Um, anything that God might be doing, I think you'll find that that will strengthen your faith and you'll find that God has actually been there right. this whole time. Well, Brian and I will be back on Monday after a fun fall weekend. We hope you have a great one as well. We'll be back from four to six on Monday. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you're, what have you been doing? You've been listening to The Common Good <laughs> on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.